May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So as promised, today we continue through Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians. And you'll remember that things ain't so great between the Corinthian community of faith and Paul, who helped found the church and oversee it. The communities rejected Paul and his ministry. Instead, they've thrown their lot in with these people Paul calls the super apostles. Where Paul's poor, they're high rolling. Where Paul's dumpy and bald, well, they're dressed well-dressed and have perfect teeth. And where Paul's ministry is modest, dull even, they're overflowing with charisma, with pizzazz. And where Paul is quiet and reserved, they are known for experiencing ecstatic, mystical encounters with God. And the assumption, of course, at the heart of this is that God shows God's power in a certain way. They choose the apostles, super apostles over Paul because you should respect people who are successful because God's gifted them with success. You should listen to people who are physically attractive or impressive. Maybe that's why people don't listen to me. Uh, because God has blessed them with beauty. You should defer to and revere people who've had powerful spiritual or mystical experiences because clearly they've been given some kind of special knowledge or divine favor that you are not privy to. In the end, this is what gives the super apostles credibility in the eyes of the Corinthians and limits Paul's credibility entirely. And you know, it's not just a basic assumption the Corinthians make, but it's the basic assumption at the heart of most belief systems, whether secular or sacred, and many forms of Christianity. That we either achieve favor with God, the universe, or the transcendent through our achievements, our ability to climb the ladder to the top of wherever we're at. Or that we are somehow divinely favored from square one and are given the gifts of success, power, or influences, outward signs of that divine favor. Whether it's obtaining good or bad karma, whether it's following all the commandments or holding the right set of beliefs or fully understanding the workings of the market, there is some sort of spiritual law at play. Greatness of one kind or another is the outcome of either divine favor or divine reward. And of course, our actions influence the outcome of our lives, for better, for worse. That's very true. It's true. But it's not what God's all about, at least not according to this morning's scripture passage. Remember that Paul's getting edged out by these super apostles, and you'll remember that this passage, this whole letter is actually a defense of his ministry. It's his response to their criticisms of him. It's his chance to show he's strong, not weak. It's his chance to show his strength and not his weaknesses, his divine favor once and for all. But in the end, that's not 
what Paul does at all. He does something completely different. He comes in from the other side of things. He comes in not from above at the heights of spiritual perfection, but he comes in from below, from in the dirt. First, he says, something to the effect of, I know somebody who's had the same mystical experiences as those super apostles. Now, scholars are pretty much certain that this person that Paul's speaking about in third person is actually himself, which is, seems strange to us, but why? In doing so, Paul was taking the advice I received in my introductory preaching course. Never make yourself the hero of the sermon. He won't make himself the hero of even his own spiritual experience that he's had, which is comparable to the super apostles, because he thinks it's tacky. It's tacky. Been there, done that, he says. I could boast and brag all day about how I went to the third heaven. But like I said, it's tacky. I'm not going to do it. But there is one thing I'll boast about, Paul says. I'm not going to boast about how amazing, how blessed, how spiritually mature, or how strong I am. Believe me, I could. I just did, but you don't realize that. I could. Instead, I'm going to brag about my weaknesses. I'm going to brag about my weaknesses and not my strengths. Now, the first weakness he brags about is something he calls his thorn in the flesh, his thorn in the flesh. Scholars have debated back and forth what this thorn is. What is it, a physical illness? Was it depression? What was it? In truth, nobody actually knows what in specific he's talking about. We just don't have that information. But we do know that it's something that happened to Paul, something bad, or that he encountered an obstacle that held him and his ministry back. It blew the life he always envisioned for himself away. We don't know exactly, but it turned him into a failure. He was on the road to success, but somehow this disrupted everything, and it caused him deep suffering and despair, kind of like a thorn, a sharp stick in the side. And he prayed day after day for it to go away, for things to get better, to be returned to his former stature, but it never happened. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed, and God never took it away. So no matter what he did, he wasn't able to escape this suffering or this pain. But, but, Paul says, one day God spoke to him and answered his prayer with these words. My grace is sufficient for you, says God. My grace is sufficient for power is made perfect in weakness. Paul was consumed with his suffering and his pain. He wanted to be great. He wanted to be successful. He wanted to reach the heights of his potential. He wanted to be strong, but God told him that it wasn't his strength that he'd use, but God would use his weakness instead.
he'd use that same thorn that had dogged him day after day to do something new and something good. So after hearing this, Paul begins to see this thorn in the flesh not as an obstacle, but as the catalyst for something good. Now let's be clear, the thorn isn't something that God gave him or made happen to him. He says it was given to him by a messenger of Satan. This scripture isn't saying that God is the cause of our suffering, or even that everything happens a reason. Chin up. But Paul's saying is that God somehow brought something good and beautiful out of his worst heartache and failure. It kept him from an overactive ego, from grasping for power and greatness above all else. It kept him from arrogance. It kept him from self-sufficiency. And somehow it ended up giving him a new purpose and new life. It was one of the things that helped make him an authentic follower of Jesus. I will boast all the more gladly, he says. I'll brag about my weaknesses, because that's when the power of Christ fills me and takes hold. I can face anything in life, whether insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for Jesus' sake, he says, because when I'm weak, I'm depending on nothing but divine grace. And that is the strongest power of all. And really, he's just following the pattern of Jesus and the cross that God would take something so vile and terrible and transform it into a source of blessing and new life. So despite the fact that by history's standards, Paul is an extreme underachiever, God takes his failure and uses it to transform him into an agent of God's mercy and love, spreading the good news far and wide. And, you know... We don't even know if he was successful with this letter to the Corinthians, and yet we are still talking about him today. For Paul, it's this weakness, this life out of death that's worth boasting about in the end. God takes death and uses it to bring new life, resurrection. God's power is made perfect in weakness. Who here remembers the napalm girl? Does that ring anybody's bell, the napalm girl? Could I have you switch the slide? Um, Norm, next slide. You've seen this famous picture before probably. It's a famous photo from the Vietnam War that appeared in the New York Times in 1972. It's a photo of, please forgive me, Kim Phuc Phan Thi at age nine fleeing from a napalm attack, one that killed members of her family and other civilians, burning off her clothes and leaving her with third-degree burns. This is one of the images that helped bring the Vietnam War to an end because it spoke to people's hearts. But growing up, Fan became consumed by intense emotional and physical pain. Not only was her body severely scarred, eternally itchy and hot, she was also imprisoned by despair, and her situation was one of rage against those who did this to her. I was alone as a person can be, she says. I could not turn to a friend, for nobody wished to befriend me. 
I was toxic and everyone knew it. To be near me was to be near hardship. Wise people stayed far away. I was alone atop a mountain of rage. Why, she asked, why was I made to wear these awful scars? She wanted relief, she wanted peace, she wanted friendship, she wanted a cure for her loneliness, and one day she came upon a copy of the New Testament on a library bookshelf. She took it home, she read through it, and she became intrigued because in Christ's suffering, she found her own. And so on Christmas Eve that year, she found herself in a small, rural Christian church, hearing the message of God's gift of grace, of unconditional love, transformation, and new life. And something in her shifted, it changed, just in hearing that message. Now I'm aware that some of us might struggle with more evangelical language that I'm about. I like how I didn't say, uh, you know, like, I like how I didn't say uh, um, uh, uh, trigger warning before that terrible picture, and then I said trigger warning for evangelical language uh, in the United Church. Um, but for others here, that's language as right as rain. But just listen. Listen how, to she, how she describes the next day. When I woke up that Christmas morning, I experienced the kind of healing that can only come from God. I was finally at peace. Could you go to the next slide, please? Nearly half a century passed since I found myself running, frightened, naked and in pain down that road in Vietnam. I will never forget the horrors of that day. The bombs, the fire, the shrieks, the fear. Nor will I forget the years of trial and torment that followed, but I think about how far I have come, the freedom and the peace that comes from faith in Jesus. I realize there is nothing greater or more powerful than the love of our blessed Savior. And this experience ended up transforming her outlook on life and empowered her to do things she couldn't have dreamed of before. She continues. My faith in Jesus has enabled me to forgive those who have hurt me and scarred me. It has enabled me to pray for my enemies rather than curse them. And it has enabled me not to just tolerate them, but truly to love them. I will forever bear the scars of that day. And that picture will always serve as a reminder of the unspeakable evil of which humanity is capable. That picture defined my life, but in the end, it gave me a mission, a ministry, a cause. So today, I thank God for that picture. Today, I thank God for everything, even for that road, especially for that road, especially for that road. So Fan went through, the kind, through terrible suffering and sadness, the kind most of us can barely even imagine. She was consumed by hatred and pain. And like Paul, she was given a thorn in the flesh, one that pulsed with every step she took, one that wouldn't go away. But upon entering that church at Christmas, like Paul, she heard the word of grace. 
One so deeply resonant and powerful that it ended up changing her life entirely. It didn't erase the past. She still holds the memory and her body still bears the scars. But God somehow took this awful event, this crime against humanity, and used it to bring her healing and peace. And like Paul, to transform her into an agent of God's love and mercy, a bringer of good news to a world in need. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that life is that life isn't simply a big game of cosmic cause and effect, of punishment, favor, or reward. God doesn't cause our failings, sufferings, or failures, nor does God snap her fingers and make them disappear from space and time. But God redeems them for good. God's power is healing power, a power made perfect in weakness, light out of darkness, life out of death. God's greatness is shown in our weakness. So no matter who you are, I know you too have failures. You have suffering, you have shame, as do I. Some of you were born into lives and families that held you back from day one. But the good news is that no matter how big the thorn in your flesh, no matter how deep the pain, you can let down your defenses. You can make peace with your failures. You can let go of your hatred, your resentment, and your shame. You can let down your defenses and let a new day shine in. Because a life of greatness still lies ahead of you by the grace of God. For in the barren soil of your brokenness and weakness lies the seeds of God's power and God's goodness. God can, and God will, take those dead things inside of you and bring out life, bring something sacred, something beautiful instead. God's power is made perfect in weakness. So hear this good news and let it heal you and let it change you for good. Amen.